Masechet Yevamotaf Sadi Bet. We start with the statement, Amadav Ashe Ulkala La Haishinan. We do not worry about rumors. We're talking about a case of a woman who was married and the husband goes away. And uh, then uh, it's, uh, she has some evidence that he, he died and she gets remarried to a second man. If there is a rumor that the husband is alive, but no more than a rumor, then we do not have to worry about it. She can remain married to her second husband and she can ignore the rumor. It's not substantiated. Okay, good. So, hey, Kala, now we ask, what kind of rumor, when did this happen? Um, see, the rumor could happen before she gets married or after she gets married. If the rumor is before she got married, uh, you know, in other words, there was some evidence, uh, you know, two witnesses or one witness uh, that said your husband is dead. And so she didn't get married yet. If there's a rumor in the meantime, well, then she really should check out the rumor before she gets married. All right, that's a problem, a rumor before the wedding. But a rumor after the wedding, well, it's already done. What are you going to now uh, now prohibit something that's already done based on something unsubstantiated? Uh, so in that case, uh, we would not worry about the about the rumor. So now we ask if it's talking about after the wedding. Ravashe already said that one time. Why would you say it twice? Any rumor that's after the wedding, we don't worry about. Uh, so what? why did he say again, we don't worry about rumors? And the answer is, And the answer is not to say that a rumor before the wedding would be uh, would be okay, that we would take seriously and, you know, we would want to wait and clarify. Rather, he said it twice to include our case, uh, because I might have thought in a case like ours where there's one witness only and she has to go to Betin to say, hey, can I rely on this witness? And they do an investigation. I might have thought that since she had to come to Betin in the first place, even though they permitted it, Still, that is like a rumor that is before the marriage. And therefore, I might have thought that it should be prohibited. And therefore, he says it again to teach me that it's permitted. In other words, sometimes when you say, uh, oh, this person was investigated for misconduct, for fraud, even if the, if the court uh, said that they were not guilty, Still, like, why would why they have to be investigated in the first place, right? Is there something going on here? And therefore, that plus a rumor that comes after the wedding, I might have thought those two things joined together and then, oh, see, this rumor after the wedding substantiates the investigation that we had to do before the wedding. And maybe I would say, you know, she has to leave her second husband. And therefore, Ravashe says, no, you do not have to. Rumors are just rumors. Next, Niset al-Pibetin Teset, the end of the Mishnah said that if the woman is relying on Betin, Betin said, you can go get married. We, right, we, based on one witness, we believe your husband is dead. We believe the witness. And she does and goes, gets married. And she, then the husband comes back. Uh, she does not have to bring a Korban because she relied on the, on the court. And that's the general rule of Horayot when a Betin makes a ruling and it's mistaken and let's say it's for the public and many people follow it in that case the betin has to bring a special korban for their error and the individuals do not have to bring a korban khatat and here too because she relied on the court she does not have to bring korban khatat she does get all the other penalties and consequences and lots of terrible things but at least she saves a few hundred dollars on bringing in uh, bringing in animal sacrifice that's what the mishnah said
אמר זעירי לטא למתניתין מדתנה במדרשה. דתנה במדרשה, הורו בית דין ששקע חמה, ולבסוף זרחה, אין זו הוראה. Ela ta'ud, Zidi says, we reject our Mishnah, we do not accept this Mishnah. Because we have a Vraita that we learned in the Bet Midrash, and that's, we're going to prefer that one. Interesting why we prefer this Bet Midrash, I guess they, they discussed it and they decided that this is preferable over the Mishnah. This Vraita says that if a Betin makes a ruling that the sun has set, and they said Shabbat is over, and in the end, they go outside and they look, oh, it's, the sun is still out. Maybe there was a very dark cloud and it looked, uh, it looked like it was, uh, it was dark and the Betin uh, erred. Uh, then we do not call that Ohora'ah. This is not a valid ruling that people could rely on and say, oh, the Betin told me to. I don't have to bring Korban. The Betin brings a Korban. No, this is just called a Ta'ut. This is simply a mistake. What's the difference between a wrong ruling and a complete mistake? The difference is that this has to do with a mistake in fact. It, did the sun set or did it not set? If the court makes a mistake in fact, then they are not responsible for that. The people who sinned, although everybody was unwitting, right? All of this is talking about people are not doing it on purpose. You only bring a korban khatat if it's not on purpose. Um, but the, uh, the, the liability for the korban in the case of a mistake of fact relies on the people they could have, you know, they, the, the court doesn't have any more a special expertise in clouds and, uh, and, um, and realia than the people. So anyone could check it out. Whereas if it's a mistake in law that they use some reasoning, derivation, source that they got wrong, then a mistake in law is in fact a valid ruling that the court is responsible for. And if it turns out that that ruling was wrong, then the court is responsible and the people who followed it uh, do not have to bring a korban. So that's the point of the bet, this Baraitan Bet Midrash. Just like if a court makes a mistake regarding sunset, the people are liable. So too here, the court said, your husband is dead. That's a, a mistake in law, in fact, the, in, in, in reality. In fact, the husband was alive. So that was a mistake in fact. Therefore, the court is not liable. The woman is liable against the Mishnah. The Mishnah says the, that the woman is, is exempt. And this Baraita says the woman is liable. Okay. But Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman backs up the Mishnah. And he says, in fact, it is a mistake in ruling. Uh, why would he say that? After all, in the whole Torah, we only the Torah requires two witnesses based for, for almost everything. And in general, one witness is not believed. And yet here the court says, okay, we will believe one witness. So in fact, they made a mistaken ruling in Halakha. They didn't, we're not focusing on, they didn't, the court didn't say, we declare, right, we rule that your husband is dead. They didn't say that. They said, we rule that we can rely on this single witness. Well, that's a ruling. It turns out that that ruling was wrong because that witness was not reliable. That witness lied uh, knowingly, maybe, maybe, maybe made a mistake. He saw someone die, he thought it was him. Uh, doesn't matter. Uh, the point is that according to Rav Nachman, that we fo- we're not fo- we're focusing on the ruling, and the court said that we rely on one witness, and that was a mistake, and therefore the woman is not responsible because it's the court that made a mistake in law. Um, Rav Nachman, on the other hand, 
Uh, right, my tamad, la mishum dehodai. So you see, it's a rule and mistake in law. Whereas Rav Nachman said, um, that, that was Rav Nachman. Whereas Ze'iri and the Baraita here said, no, it's a mistake in uh, fact, because it's the, they're focusing on the result. The court said, your husband is dead. Well, that will turn, didn't turn out to be true. But if a court makes a mistake in fact, then they are not liable to that. The woman is liable. All right, so now that we enter with Rav Nachman, who says a mistake in law, and that uh, supports the Mishnah. Rav says, no, I go back to this Baraita, and I disagree with the Mishnah, and I'm going to prove to you that it is, in fact, a mistake in fact. How do we know? Uh, he's going to make a comparison. So watch this. Let's say Betin came and said, this forbidden fat, this section of fat, or this blood is permitted. They know it was blood, but they said blood is permitted. This is a mistake in law. Okay, they just they made they made the wrong law. They thought that for some reason, this particular section of fat uh, is permitted, and so they made a mistake. Now, in that case, the court would be responsible because it's a mistake in law. Now, and then they they checked it again and they realized, oh, that was a mistake and they found another source, another reason to say, you know what, it's prohibited. What if, okay, good. And now, if for some reason they flip-flop again and they go back to the original position, not based on anything new, they just, maybe they like they forgot that they updated the, the record, they forgot that someone dis, already disproved it, and they went back to the first one, we would not be able to rely on it. That would not be a valid ruling. That would simply be a mistake. And we could not, we could not rely on it. Um, the court would not be responsible. So that would be a case of a kind of flip-flop in, uh, in a mistaken law that originally the court would be responsible, but then they recognize that they are wrong. If they go back to their first error, they are no longer responsible. That's what has to do with law. Now let's compare it to our case. In a case like ours, where you have one witness comes and says, I saw your husband is dead. So in that case, the court permits her to remarry. Now, if two come and say, oh, no, he was wrong. In fact, your husband is alive. So now she's prohibited. She has to leave that husband. She has to leave both husbands. Okay, if after that, at a later date, one witness comes and says, oh, now your husband is dead. <laughs> um, right? He wasn't dead before, but now he died since then. And now we still believe, we would believe the, this witness um, and say, you know what, now you can get remarried. Um, and, uh, and so you see that we're going back to our original ruling. If we said it's a mistake in ruling, well, then when the first time that they said your husband is dead, it was a mistake in ruling, okay, the court is responsible. When we realize that that whole system is no good, then, and and because two witnesses disproved it, then if they go back to the original ruling and once again uh, believe a single witness, right, let's see the second time she gets married to another guy, um, but then a witness comes and says he's dead, uh, we still believe him. Well, should it, if it was parallel, if it was a mistaken ruling, it would be parallel to this case. And we will not believe them in the second time that they make the same mistaken ruling to rely on one witness. 
Um, but in fact, we do believe them. Why? Because it's not a mistaken ruling. We, they're allowed to rely on one witness. This is the established law. Whether it's Dodai Tao, Dodabanan, doesn't matter. The rabbi's established that you can rely on one witness. The mistake here is not a mistake in law. We would apply the law again and again. Rather, it's a mistake in fact, right? We followed the right procedure, but it turned out, in fact, he was alive. And therefore, um, you see that this is a mistake in uh, in fact and not in law. If it was a mistake in law, we parallel to this case. It's not parallel to the case. this case where it was a mistake in ruling. There, therefore, it's a mistake in fact. There you go. Okay. Also must think that this is a mistake in, uh, in, uh, in reality, in, in fact. Um, and so even he would go against the Mishnah, so we have extra support besides the Baraita, also this second Baraita. says, let the law pierce the mountain and the woman has to bring a big fat uh, uh, animal, Korban Hatat. Uh, this phrase, let the law pierce the mountain, is a way of saying, apply strict justice and don't take into account mercy or any other considerations, even though here you might think to take into consideration the fact that she didn't do anything wrong and now she, you know, her life is uh, going to be very difficult. She has to leave both husbands, all kinds of penalties. She says, no, nevertheless, this is the way it is. And she also has to bring a Korban, a fat one, for, you know, Really uh, doing something wrong. Okay. Now, why do you say this? If the court's ruling was a mistake, a mistake in fact, then uh, that's why she has to bring a korban, right? Because, uh, that, so that makes sense, because a mistake in fact is not their responsibility. But if it's a mistake in ruling, and the mistake in law, then why would she have to bring a korban? Then the court is responsible for that. Um, okay, so that's a good point. Now, hold on. Maybe the Beliazid disagrees with the whole law, basic law of Horayot, and he thinks that even an individual who follows a mistaken ruling of a Betin, the individual is liable. Maybe he, maybe that's what he thinks, and that's why. No. In that case, why would he have to say, Oh, let the let let there be strict justice. The law pierced the mountain, and by saying that, he's uh, he's recognizing that in general, uh, yes, the betin would be responsible for mistakes, mistakes in uh, mis- mistakes in law. Uh, but here, no, we can't we can't blame it on betin, even though uh, even though they declared that she can go get remarried. No, here we consider it a mistake in in uh, fact. Because the husband, in fact, was alive, and they said we think he's dead, um, but that's a mistake, in fact, and so we say, too bad, strict justice. Sorry, uh, you have to bring a big fat uh, korban, and so we have several, a uh, couple of badaitot against the Mishnah, and uh, the very interesting discussion about uh, what do you focus on, the mistake of law or the mistake of uh, mistaken outcome of whether the husband is dead or not. All right, next we say, If the Betin decided that she can get remarried, and she goes and remarries a proper guy with good kiddushin, someone that she's allowed to marry, then then good. Then she doesn't have to bring korban, according to the Mishnah. But if she messes up, right, if she is kilkela, you know, if she does something wrong, has some kind of wrong uh, intercourse, then she is liable, um, and, and you know we and, and that permission that the Betin said to go re- get remarry is rescinded because she misused it. 
Okay. So my kilkela, we ask, what does it mean? What what does she have to do wrong to be to be a kilkela? If she goes and has relations with someone out of marriage, uh, 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 out of marriage. Um, that licentious relations, this is kilkila. We said you can go get properly married. This is not proper activity. And therefore, in that case, she, they would, that, be, that would be considered adultery. And we, we don't say, oh, now that your husband was dead. We say, we, we take that back. And um, we, only, we only gave you a special leniency because we, uh, because we thought you wanted to remarry. Um, but now you don't deserve that leniency. Like, um, you know, if my uh, uh, son wants special permission to stay up late to finish a project for school, okay, fine. And then he goes and uses it to play video games. No, I didn't give it. I didn't give it. So now he gets punished for staying up late. He says, why? Why? But you gave me permission to stay up late. Yeah, only for one reason, not for the other reason. Okay. Is more mekel. He says, if she only went and had extramarital relations, that does not violate a specific prohibition. So she'd still be okay. Whereas if she's an almanat, she marries a kohen gadol, she's a divorcee, or a chalutzan, she marries a kohen, a regular kohen, now she entered into a, a marriage that is prohibited. And that is called misusing the permission of the betin, and then the betin's permission is gone. Okay, all the more so if if just extramarital affair. Um, she used the Betin said she's that she's single, right? So she goes and does that. So there's no specific violation. If that's even if even that is called kilkela, then all the more so a specific prohibition against a kohen kohen marriage. It'd be Elias would agree with Riochanan. But Rabbi Yochanan would not agree with Rabbi Eliezer. It's only if you violate a serious uh, love, a prohibition, and not if uh, she is just promiscuous. The reason is because she can say, you're the ones that said, I am single. So um, you said I'm single and I can go get remarried. Okay, I'm using your permission to go and have promiscuous relations with someone who's not married. So I'm not married, he's not married, and this is not a good thing to do, and the Betin wouldn't want it, but uh, she is, after all, uh, uh, single. So she can use that, but not to go and do make a serious violation. We have a Baraita that supports the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan that only if it's a, a pro, if she violates a love, where it says, Betin said, go get married, and she goes and messes up. For example, right, these two examples of a lav, a kohen marrying a kohen gadol marrying a mana, or a regular kohen marrying a gerusha or a chalutza. Hayevet bekorban alchol biab ubi arab debiler Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Elazar says not to be confused with Rabbi Eliezer. He disagrees. He's the one that's more machmir. This Rabbi Elazar is supports is a precedent for Rabbi Yochanan, and he says he's adding something else besides. Not only is she liable. Right, she can only be. She's only exempt from a korban if um, if she went and got remarried. Even if it turns out that the husband was alive and comes back, as so she gets the penalties, but she doesn't have to bring korban because her being with the second man that was based on betin. But if it's a kohen gadol or if it's kohen to a gerusha, 
then she has to bring a korban, and now his chidush is not only one korban, a korban in every single bi'ah that they have. One korban on the marriage, uh, not on every single bi'ah, so it's more lenient, but they're still within Rabbi Yochanan. However, um, the sages do agree that you could bring, bring more than one korban if she, was, if she got married to five different men in succession um, that, that she was prohibited to. And that in that case, she would have to bring a korban for each and every one since they are separate people. Uh, so you don't have to bring, you know, they don't have to bring on every single bi'ah with the same person. So the same person, all one korban, but more than one person, each one requires a separate korban. But this whole baraita, even despite this uh, machloket, uh, assumes that it's only if it's a prohibited marriage prohibited by a love, then that's called kilkelan, she has to bring a, a korban. But if she only had promiscuous relations, uh, um, uh, not with someone that she didn't ma- that she didn't marry, although that's not a good thing, uh, nevertheless, that she could still rely on the betin, and even when the husband comes back, she does not have to bring a, her own separate korban hatat. We begin the next Mishnah. Uh, so more more combinations of uh, similar cases of people going away. In this case, they were going to uh, include a yibum aspect of it. So um, a woman uh, and uh, a woman, you have a woman whose whose husband and their son, his son goes, uh, it says her son, but it actually have to be his son, uh, goes away to a different country. And then uh, she hears, some witnesses come and say, oh, listen, your husband died first, and then your son died. Let's assume they have no other children. Uh, he has no other other son, no other children. So because the, son, the father died first, so uh, the father died with child. Therefore, there's no need to do Yibum. Even though afterwards the son died, and so ends up that he has no living children, um, but that only happened after he died. So we focus on the time that he died, he had children, no need for Yibum or Chalitza. And so she appropriately, even he said, she goes and remarries the second guy. And then the witnesses come and say, or new witnesses come and say, oh, actually, it was the opposite. I'm sorry, we got the order wrong. Actually, uh, the, your son died first, and then the husband died, which means since the son died first, at the time that the husband died, he died without children. And therefore, she was required to do yibum. She was not allowed to go and marry this uh, second husband. Therefore, she has to leave him. And the children that she has with the second husband, the first and the last, which means both those that she had before the second set of witnesses came and those she had after the second set of witnesses came. For sure those because... Then she already knew, so she was purpose, you know, she was purposefully uh, in this uh, illicit, um, uh, uh, in this illicit relationship, and even the ones before, when it was not, uh, when she did not know, she thought she was doing something good. Uh, nevertheless, even those unwitting, still the children are mamzerim. 
Okay, a few things to clarify here. Uh, number one, why? what do you mean the children are mamzerim? What kind of prohibition is this? She was supposed to do, she has a zika with the yavam. She was supposed to be with the yavam, and she goes and marries someone, a shomeret yavam, who goes and marries someone else before doing yibum or chalitza. Uh, that is only in the sur lav, which means that the children should not be mamzer, except for the biakiba. The biakiba is the one that says that even for any sur lav, the children are mamzer, and that's what the Gemara will discuss, uh, that must be, but must be a case like that. The other point that the Gemara will ask about this is why do you have to say the children from the first and the, cho- the, the first children and the second children are mamzerim? What difference does it make before or after the second set of witnesses come? Uh, you know, still the same prohibition. Okay, uh, Gemara will answer that's just because of parallelism. <clears throat> it doesn't really make a difference. And that's why it says it as style. Okay, Amrullah, second case. At first, the witnesses came and said, your son died first, and then your husband died, which means that at the time he died, he did not have a child. So he died without children. She has to do Yibum or Chalitza. So she does. She does Yibum, but then they say, actually, it was the other way around. The child was alive when the husband died. And therefore, this Yibum that you did was prohibited. This is a more serious case because if she has relations with her brother-in-law, in which Yibum is required, that's a mitzvah. But if they have relations when Yibum is not required, and since he um, had a child uh, when he died, it was not required, that is incest, that is edva. And therefore... She has to leave the Yavam, that's for sure, and the children that are born either before the second set of witnesses come or the sec- or, the, or, or after are both Mamzerim. And in this case, it will be Mamzerim according to everybody because this is in Isur of Arayot of um, someone being, a woman being with her brother-in-law. Okay, next case. Amrullah met ba'alich veniset. Someone said your husband died. She goes gets married. And then they said, actually, at the time that you got married, he was alive. He has he has died since. In this case, uh, she has to leave um, because uh, at the time when the husband was alive, this was a prohibited relationship. This was adulterous, so she she can't remain married. Uh, to the, to him. However, only the children she had while uh, b- before the witnesses b- before the husband died are mamzerim. When the, while the husband was alive, those kids are mamzerim. But any if she is uh, any children that she had after his death. Right, the the witnesses we presume say, listen, he died. Uh, you know, f- uh, five years ago. And she had some children before and some, ch- some children after, <clears throat> the ones afterwards, uh, since the husband was dead. So they are not mamzerim because she was single at the time. All right. And so in this case, it says there is a difference between before and after. That's why for parallelism, it says in the other cases also. The next case, they said your husband died, but she only did kiddushin. She didn't get a chance to do nisuin yet to, uh, to finish off the full marriage. And then the husband came back. In that case, she can uh, return to original husband because all she did was accept a ring from uh, some other guy. And so that's a uh, ring is nothing. She didn't, uh, she didn't violate any prohibition. 
And not only that, the second guy does not even have to give a, give a get. Usually, if you want to break off a kiddushin, you need a get. In this case, because she was, in fact, married that whole time, their husband was alive, uh, a woman who was married uh, cannot affect kiddushin with another man. And therefore, there's no need for a get. And even if he gives a get, we don't even say there's a reyach get. There are many cases where you don't technically need to get vidoraita, but the rabbis say, you know what, give a get because it's confusing, whatever reason. Um, so anytime there's any requirement of get at any level, uh, the woman becomes prohibited to marry a kohen. However, if a random man just gives a random woman a get for no reason, it's not necessary, she then, then she could still marry a Kohen. And so this would be the same, even though they did Kiddushin, but the Kiddushin was not valid, and therefore he does not require to give a get. Even if he gives a get, it's not even a, a hint of a get uh, that was given, and she can marry a Kohen. How do we know that? Because... Uh, says a Kohen, um, cannot marry a woman who is divorced from her husband. Only if she's divorced from her husband, right? But not from someone who is not her husband. And so uh, if they didn't do Nisuin yet, they are not fully married. And therefore, since it was only Kiddushin, um, and so they were never, not only that, right, not only fully, any married at all, uh, because they were not married at all since she, the husband was alive, this Kiddushin was nothing, therefore only someone who was divorced from someone she was invalidly married to in some uh, Kiddushin or Nisuin. But here, there was not Kiddushin, not Nisuin, not anything. So the get is zero, she can marry a Kohen. All right, good. Now we ask about the first case. What does it mean that the children are mamzidim both from the first and the second? The first is before she heard uh, that the uh, that the first report was uh, was uh, wrong, and vacharon is after the second set of witnesses come. Then just say the child is a mamzer. The whole all children are mamzerim. You don't even have to make a distinction between before and after. And the answer is. Because in the third case of the Mishnah, where they said that your husband is dead, and then she got remarried, and then they said actually he was alive, but he died subsequently, the children that are born before he died, um, uh, are mamzerim, but the children that are born afterwards are not. Because there is a distinction there, we want to keep the form of every case in the Mishnah parallel to each other, and that way you notice the subtle differences between each case. So therefore, that's why in the first case it says the first and last are mamzerim, even though um, it's not. there's no difference there. Okay, so good. The first case where she was, in fact, a Shomeret She went and got remarried thinking that her husband died while the child was alive. So she didn't need Yibum Chalitza. 
Turns out, actually, the child had died first, and uh, so she needed to do Yibum Chalitza. She was a Shomer Javam this whole time, and therefore prohibited to the second guy. But that prohibition is only in the Sur Lav. And yet, the children are mamzerim. So why? Must be, It must be that this is the words of Rabbi Akiva. He says that if someone tries to do Kiddushin with someone who is prohibited as a lav, the Kiddushin does not take effect. Corollary of that is the children are mamzerim. Those two things generally go together. Uh, so that's why is it Rabbi Akiva who says children from Isur lav, our mamzerim. That's the case. But the sages say that there are some a shomeret yavam, a woman who is a yavama. Before she does yibum and chalitza, if she goes and has a child with another man, it does not produce a mamzer. So it must be that our mishnah is like Rabbi Akiva, not like chachamim. Now we ask a question on this braita. Why does braita say there's no mamzer from a yevama who marries a, a third person, uh, an, a non-related person? Why doesn't it say the more general rule that chachamim think that there is no mamzer if it's only sur lav? That the mamzer is produced from isur karet, not isur lav, and this is just one example. So why doesn't it say the more general rule? And the answer is haytana hachtana de Rabbi Akiva who damar mechayave lavin dished have mamzer mechayave lavin gerede lo lo have mamzer. This uh, must be that this paraita is actually two opinions within Rabbi Akiva. Uh, neither opinion here is the, is the full chachamim. Chachamim say uh, more lenient across the board. Uh, there's no mamzer if, if for any sur lav. But within the Akiba, there is a machloket um, uh, uh, that um, um, one tana of the Akiva, the first one says, there's no kiddushin for any chayve lavin. Uh, but the other one says, wait, uh, meaning there's a, a mamzer for all chayve lavin. But the other says, no, chayve lavin disher, if there's a, a uh, flesh and blood relation, or even legal, if there's a le- if there if the two people are related, and in the surah lav, that produces a mamzed. Example of that would be uh, someone who marries his halutza. Right? He, just, he could have done yibum or chalitza. He decides to do chalitza. Great. But now he can't take, he can't marry the chalutza. And if he does, they are related because that's brother and sister-in-law. And so if he does, that is a isur lav. And it is, they are related. That would produce a mamzer. But, but if a regular, just a plain old lav, and the example when they're not related, is a shomeret yavam, who goes and has a child with a, a, per, a third party who's not related to either of them. Uh, they are not related. And this is surlav, they would not produce a mamzer. So that's within the Rabbi Akiva, there are these, um, there are these two opinions. So this would, uh, anyway, our Mishnah would follow the first opinion here uh, of Rabbi Akiva. Good. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav, Minayin she'en kiddushin tofsin b'yivamah. Rav says that if a yavam, if someone, she's shomeret yavam, she's supposed to do yibum with a guy, and in the meantime, she does, uh, someone comes and does kiddushin with her. He says, the kiddushin does not take effect. Shene'emar, lo tiye eshet hamet ha'husa le'ish zar. Um, even though in general, Isur Lav, only in Isur Lav, according to the majority opinion, the Kiddushin does take effect, but not here, because the Pasuk says, Lo and Tihyeh is a language of Havaya, to be with, to um, form 
a marital relation. So it says that this the Yevama, because she has to go and do Yibum or Chalitza with her brother-in-law, she cannot be, meaning there's no possibility of her creating a marriage, uh, a with a foreigner, with a foreign man, besides her, besides the Yavam. Uh, so there is no marriage. So therefore, Kiddushin does not work. Good, that's Rav's opinion. He's lenient on her. Shmuel Amar Be'aniyutenu Sirichaget. says, "Sorry, we are in our poverty of knowledge. We're not sure what this pasuk means, and therefore uh, we require a get. It could be that the kiddushin does take effect." Shemuel's not sure when it says lo do not be, does that mean do not be, meaning it's prohibited to for her to be with another man. And if she is and he does kiddushin, it does work. Uh, it does work, but it's prohibited. So when this loti is lotiya saying, don't do this, or is it saying, there is no way you can do this, right? Is that you may not do this or you cannot uh, uh, do this. Uh, so he's not sure, or if it means that it does not work at all, like Rav said, since he's not sure, he says you better require a get uh, from the sec from that husband, that second man. Okay, We have Mari here, whose name who's uh, known by his mother. Not usually we go by the father. Uh, here must be uh, that she explains a whole other case. Uh, it was a whole complicated thing with his father. Uh, who converted, uh, so therefore he's known um, after his mother. Um, okay, anyway, he said to, to Rav Ashe, Hachi Amar Amemad, reporting in the name of Amemad, Halacha Kevateti Shmuel, we are stringent like Shmuel to require that the Yishomeret Yavam, who has with another man, requires a get, because Kiddushin, we suspect, is valid. Amar Rav Ashe, Ashtad Amar Amemad, Halacha Kevateti Shmuel, Im Aya Yevamah Kohen, so well, I, now we can apply this case uh, to where the Yevama, uh, since he said Shemuel, if the if her Yavam, if the man, the Yavam is a Kohen, then there's going to be a problem. So uh, because he cannot marry a divorcee. So if she goes, she's supposed to do Yibum with this Kohen. Instead, she goes and she has Kiddushin with some other guy. Now, she's not allowed to be with that guy. He has to give her a get. Okay, fine. He gives her a get. But now, she's a divorcee, so he can no longer do yibum. So what do we do? Yes, he has to do chalitza. He has to do something to sever the zikah. And after he does chalitza, she can go back to that other man, that husband that she was prohibited to before. Now she's permitted because you did chalitza. Okay, now we ask about that. Itagure, itgur, itgad. Wait, should she gain from something? Uh, from this? niskad. Um, if so, you have someone who sins, but benefits from it, right? How could we let her go back to that husband that she was prohibited to be with? And she's actually benefiting from that because she was with that husband. And the Kiddushin works. Or at least, uh, you know, there's a, a chance, according to Shemuel, that the Kiddushin works. And now she requires a get. Because she requires a get, now she cannot be with her Yavam. He cannot do Yibum because then she'll, because she's a divorcee and he's a Kohen. So that forces him to do Chalitza and now she benefits because, oh, see, you did Chalitza. Now I'm going to go back to that, to that guy. That, so this, we should not have any principle where someone gains by making a sin. 
אלא אם היה יבם הישראל נותן לשני גט והותרה לו. Rather, uh, what, he must have, uh, what he must have said, um, uh, what Rav Hashem must have meant is that if, if, the Yavama, if the Yavam was a Yisrael, then the other husband, the, the, the husband that she, she, she married illicitly, will give her a get, and she is then permitted to do Yibum with the Yisrael Yavam. And in that case, she has to sever that illicit relation, and she can go back and do Yibum with the Yisrael. Okay, next halacha. Amarav Gidal, Amarav Chia, Abadi Yosef, Amarav in the name of Rav also, like the previous one. Yevama, Kiddushin, and Ba Nisuin, Yeshba. Although Yevama does not have Kiddushin, Kiddushin does not apply, that's what he said above, but there is Nisuin. This is very strange. What do you mean? How could there be Nisuin without Kiddushin? Right? You can't go two miles if you don't give. You can't. There's no way. If you can say you can't go one mile, there's no way you can get to two miles. You have to pass one mile first. You have to pass Kiddushin in order to get to Nisuin. So we say, Kiddushin and Ba, Nisuin Nami and Ba. If there's no Kiddushin, there's no way that there could be Nisuin. So what does he mean by this? We're going to have three interpretations. Emma. Kiddushin vin nisuin ba. What he meant to say is not only is there no kiddushin, also there's no nisuin. Uh, that if they um, if they do have biyah together, that does not consummate anything. There's no kiddushin. There's no nisuin. Nothing uh, for uh, for her. That would be uh, further application of the lotiye. Right? What we said here, lotiye. They cannot. There's no way for shemet yavam to be with anybody else. Second answer. Vibetem amai nisuin yeshba. Biznut kederav humnam hamnuna demarav hamnuna shomeret yavam shezineta asura livam livama. What he meant is in a promiscuous way. If they try to do nisuin, meaning if they consummate something, meaning they're just together, but it's actually just promiscuous relations. If she is a shomeret yavam and she has relations with a third uh, party, then what happens is that um, there is. What he means by there is nisuin is that she becomes prohibited to the uh, to the yavam. Um, it's like uh, it's like uh, someone in a marriage. If she commits adultery on purpose, she cannot go back to him. So this is the same thing. She cannot go back to him. Then she's not actually married to that guy, but it's uh, sufficient to make her prohibited to the yavam. Third answer. No, actually, it's what we said in the beginning. Um, that in fact, kiddushin does not work, but nisuin does take effect only midirabanan. Uh, so they're not actually married, but it's sufficient that we will require that she get a get. So shemedet yavam, she's supposed to be with the yavam. Instead, she goes and does some nisuin ceremony with some other guy. She's not 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 fully married, but he has to give her a get um, anyway. Why? Because we may confuse this case with the classic case of that we start with our Mishnah, of woman uh, the, of the first Mishnah of the Pedic, woman who goes, um, whose husband goes away, and she gets remarried, and then he comes back, and there we say, he has to give her a get, um, because, you know, it's confusing. People will say, what, what is this? So she married the second guy, we're all at the wedding. So you can't just leave him, and that case looks similar to this case, uh, where she was supposed to be with uh, Yavam. Instead, she went with another guy, and she's, they're living together. And so if she just leaves him without a divorce, people will say, oh, she doesn't need a divorce. I guess the, the other case doesn't need a divorce, and therefore we require a get uh, because of the similarity 
between the, the cases. All right. Now, uh, so they got together in the, in the group, in the study group, and they voted. And they came to the conclusion that Kiddushin does not take effect in the Yevama like the opinion of Rav before. So Rabbi Yochanan says, uh, my master, uh, right, to Rabbi Anai, isn't this an explicit Mishnah? What do you mean, yet you voted and decided as if it's up to us, uh, these Amoraim, um, uh, the early Amoraim, great sages, but, you know, the Mishnah is more authoritative. So we have a Mishnah already that addresses this, did not. Someone he comes comes to a woman who is not Jewish, and uh, he says, "Here's a ring, and you behold, you are sanctified unto me with this ring um, after you convert." That's nothing. She's not she's not Jewish. You can't um, you you can't do kiddushin with someone not Jewish, and you can't make a a condition about it because you're making condition with someone who's not Jewish. Or if he's not Jewish, he says, after I convert, then this will be the Kiddushin and it'll take effect then. No, you can't, this doesn't work. I mean, you can make conditions in Kiddushin. You could say, you know, this, uh, you are Mikudeshet um, at, uh, uh, to me on this date or when I do this. That's fine as long as they're both Jewish and they were both uh, eligible to marry uh, to do Kiddushin, then you can put a Tanai in, but here they're not Jewish. Or, Lachal Sheimut Baalech, Lachal Shatamut Achotech. Or, he says, You're Mikudeshet to me after your husband dies. <laughs> she can't do Kiddushin while her husband is alive because she's married, right? So, can you imagine such a case? This is okay. When your husband dies, I get first dibs, right? And we will be already immediately Mikudeshin. Uh, she's not eligible. You can't do Kiddushin with someone who's not eligible. Or, if the man is or was married to one sister and uh, divorced or still married and he says after this one sister dies then i will be married to you but you can't be married to two sisters uh, when both are alive and so also here she, they are not eligible to be married so the so this condition does not work and here's the key for us if he goes to and he says, here, you are, you are sanctified unto me with this ring after the, yav, the Yavam does Chalitza with you. Also, no good. What does this teach us? That a Shomeret Yavam is not eligible for Kiddushin. Not only that's a prohibition, but that it cannot take effect at all. It's like being not Jewish. It's like or being married. So there you go. It's an explicit Mishnah. So the Bianai says to him, you're right, it is a Mishnah, but no one ever derived that from the Mishnah before. You never noticed this. If not that I had picked up the uh, this uh, the shard, or maybe it really should be a shell. If not I had picked up the shell, you would not have found the a pearl, right? The analogy is, right, I pick up a shard, I pick up a... a um, a shell, and then you see the pearl. Says, "Look, I found a pearl." What do you mean you found the pearl? I'm the one that showed you where it is, right? If I uh, you loosen the jar of pickles, and you, you come and say, oh, "Okay, I opened it," you didn't open. It. I'm the one that actually loosened it. You did the easy part. Same thing here. Um, Rabbi Yochanan is like, "Look how smart I am." See, I I uh, I see that this is in the Mishnah. Rabbi and I said you would never have connected this Mishnah 
with this whole issue. If not, that I had taught you the law first, and then I paved the way. Yeah, that's why you got it. That became easy. Okay. The colleague of Rabbi Yochanan says, if not that a great man, Rabbi, that's Rabbi Anai, their teacher, uh, praised you, I would say the follow as following. So <laughs> Rabbi Yochanan is getting uh, attacked twice for his statement, he thought he was saying something brilliant. Look, it's in the Mishnah. But now, Rish Lakish is also um, attacking him and said, You can't bring a proof from this Mishnah. This Mishnah is only the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. He's the one that says that with you have any surlav, Kiddushin does not take effect. And the Yevama, Shomerit Yevam, uh, who is... Uh, she's awaiting Kiddushin, uh, awaiting Chalitza or Yibum, and she goes and uh, does Kiddushin with another guy. It doesn't take effect. That's only because this Mishnah is Rabbi Akiva, but there's no proof that that is the Halakha. So, yes, it's appropriate that we had to vote about it. So, Rabbi Akiva, you know, he says, Rabbi Yochanan, don't you realize that? Right? This is no proof at all. So, Gemara here is going to try to defend the Rabbi Yochanan and says, No, it actually can't be Rabbi Akiba. If it was Rabbi Akiva, then in the case where uh, he says uh, that he says to her, After you do Chalitza, um, then I'll, I'll, then uh, you'll be, you'll be my wife. So let kiddushin uh, take effect in that case, even according to the Biakiva, because Biakiva in general says that a person can transfer something, um, make a make a legal transaction, a financial transaction, even of of something that didn't yet come into the world, that didn't does not yet in existence, right? Can I sell you, uh, you know, a, a condo in a building that hasn't been built yet? All right, this is a problematic thing. Uh, so there's different opinions about this. Big machloket throughout Shas, and here the Biakiva says, yes, you can, uh, you can acquire something even though it doesn't exist in the world. And therefore, we could apply that here, uh, where he says, after Chalitza, then you'll be a free woman. And so I acquire you then. So right now, even though right now she's not a free, she's not available and cannot do Kiddushin, and that's true, the Be'akiba says Kiddushin will not work at this point, not eligible. Nevertheless, the Be'akiba would say that in all of these cases, even though an eligible woman does not exist now, but will exist in the future. I can acquire her from now. Um, and therefore, uh, according to the Biakiva, these cases, in all these cases, Kiddushin should take effect. So, uh, but this Mishnah says it does not take effect. So therefore, it came out the Nakar Biakiva that supports Rabbi Yochanan. Okay, now lastly, we're just going to see how, where do we ever see that Rabbi Akiva says that you can acquire something that did not yet come into, come into existence. Here, what the Mishnah says, Kunam shani lepicha en Tanakama says, if a wife come and says, comes to a husband and says, my earnings, usually a wife's earnings go to her husband, and in exchange, he pays for all, he pays all the bills. If she says, my earnings are prohibited to you, to your mouth, you cannot eat them, you cannot have them, 
Um, now that is invalid as is an invalid uh, vow. Uh, uh, the husband doesn't even have to uh, nullify it. Um, generally, the husband has the power to nullify his wife because it can have an effect on the marriage for sure. So we need for shalom bayit. In this case, since it's built into the requirements of the ketubah that he pays for her sustenance and in turn he gets her earnings, so her this uh, vow is nullified uh, from the outset. That's the Tanakama. Rabbi Akiva Omer Yafer Shema Ta'adif Alav Yoter Min Hara'oi Lo. Rabbi Akiva says he does have to, he should uh, uh, nullify this vow because she, make, she may make more than is fitting for him. In other words, there's only a certain amount. Her earnings up to uh, up to a given amount of uh, uh, fifty thousand um, dollars. That is equivalent to what he's paying for her sustenance. So that would be an amount that uh, her earnings have to go to her. But if she gets a raise and now she's making a hundred thousand dollars, that extra fifty she would get to keep under the the basic uh, requirements, even under the basic requirements of the ketubah, and therefore. He in fact should undo the undo the vow. Now, in this case, what you see is that he is Rabbi Akiva says you uh, can acquire something that does not exist in the world. She didn't yet earn the money. He's talking about future earnings. So from here we prove that Rabbi Akiva thinks you can acquire something that doesn't yet exist in the world, and therefore Rabbi Akiva cannot be the author of that Mishnah because that Mishnah says the Kiddushin does not work um, if you have a Tanai of the future. I acquire you eventually when you do Chalitza. Since Rabbi Akiva cannot be the author of that Mishnah, uh, therefore uh, that Mishnah must be the Chachamim and so Rabbi Yochanan has a good proof from it. Um, but now we, in the end, we reject this and in fact Rabbi Akiva it's not clear that he thinks that you can acquire something that is not yet coming, not yet come into existence. Because uh, when she says the vow, she doesn't say my next paycheck will be mine because that's something that doesn't exist yet. And says instead, she says. Um, I will make prohibited to my husband my hands, or the work of my hands. Uh, so, or my hands, she says, uh, are, are, are prohibited. They belong to their maker, meaning, and my husband cannot take them. If she does that, well, her hands do exist. So therefore, she can prohibit her hands, and therefore anything, whatever she's doing with her hands, uh, sewing, uh, then uh, anything that her hands do will also be prohibited. Her hands do exist in the world. Maybe that's why the vow does take uh, take effect in this case, because the, the hands are there. And in fact, the Akiva does not think that you can acquire something in the future. And therefore, that Mishnah could be the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. And then we sustain Resh Akish's complaint against Rabbi Yochanan. Uh, end with um, the uh, common Arabic phrase that we say after a meal, if one's wife makes a nice meal, you say, Salim bideki, may you have success in your hands, the hands that made these meals. And so this reminds me of uh, this, well, kind of the opposite, that you're prohibited from the benefit of the, of the works of my hands. Uh, Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.